Thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. It's episode 91 with Rose Cano. Rose is the artistic director of Ese Teatro, a Seattle-based theater company dedicated to empowering local Latino artists in creating professional theater in English, Spanish, bilingual, and Spanglish. We talk about Ese Teatro's current production of Bernie's Apartment, written by Rose and directed by Julie Beckman. Bernie's Apartment, inspired by Federico Garcia Lorca's play The House of Bernada Alba, is currently running at ACT Lab through May 28th. Tickets are available at aceteatro.org and at acttheater.org. Thank you to today's sponsor, Island Shakespeare Festival. ISF is Whidbey Island's professional regional repertory theater. Their 2016 summer season runs July 8th to September 11th with As You Like It, directed by artistic director Susanna Rose Woods, Julius Caesar, directed by award-winning Seattle director Corey McDaniel, who's also the producing artistic director of Theater 22, and finally Julie Beckman will direct her award-winning adaptation of Jane Eyre, which premiered at Book It Rep in 1999. For more information about Island Shakespeare Festival, visit their website at www.islandshakespearefest.org and check out their Facebook page. We were talking about writing in two different languages. and So yeah. that's kind of been, I started that when I was 20 or so. Okay. So after a couple one-person shows, and then I branched out into writing bilingual musicals. I write lyrics wow. for the book, and I brought artists from Cuba, and we did a collaboration. Then I brought artists from Peru. We did a collaboration. That was part of the African Connection Project. So writing bilingually has always been part of me, and there's, you know, kind of a million ways to do it, so I don't do it just one way. There's some things that are bilingual, equal amount of Spanish and English. Some things are Spanglish. Some things are just a little peppered with Spanish. That's what I call Spanglish. I'm also a storyteller, so I've just found that language is um, playing with that. The combination of those two languages has just been part of part of my art, part of my style, I guess, whether I'm a writer or a performer. And as an actor on stage, you know, I was trained for stage. And um, I feel like before there weren't a lot of opportunities, not enough opportunities for for Latino actors or Spanish-speaking actors. Now I feel like there's a lot more. And I feel like with age, as I get older, I feel like I can be offered more interesting roles. Mm-hmm. Um, writing is, is something, I guess I'm turning more towards now in the last five years, I guess. Um, I'd love to hear how, how this play was inspired. I, I read a little bit about um, the inspiration from Lorca. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to well, hear kind of how that uh, came about and what that play means to you and how it inspired this story. Sure. Well, I always say that the house of Bernarda Alba mm-hmm. is uh, a play virtually that everyone does in college because it's got like eight women in it. Great play so for college, yeah. So many more women than men in the, yeah. right, the theater department. So I did it when I was at Cornish as well. Mm-hmm. I played Adela, the role of the youngest daughter. Um, so this kind of idea experience started um, with an adaptation workshop that Ese Teatro hosted with Daniel Jaques, who is a writer and director from Intar. Intar is, uh, I think they're the oldest Latino theater organization in New York. 
So he was in Portland, and I said, come to come up to Seattle for a few days, and what kind of workshops can you teach? And so he offered one, which was how to adapt a classic um, into a modern play. It was already an interest of mine. I had already written Don Quixote and Sancho Panza Homeless in Seattle, which was kind of my modern take on the Don Quixote tale set in Seattle in the homeless community. So when we brought Daniel, um, I was kind of in the middle of that, and we decided that we, for class, would analyze the text of the House of Bernarda Alba. So with Daniel, during two, I think it was two days, two or three days, a group of about eight women. So we began to kind of pick the play apart and get, get out the main themes of the play, which for me, the main thing, themes are confinement and freedom in in the original play, The House of Bernardo Alba, it, the whole play takes place indoors within the walls of this one very controlling mother's sense of matriarchy. And because of social codes, the daughters can't leave those. Um, the oldest has to get married first before the younger ones can even think of getting married. She's got eight daughters, so, you know, there's a dowry, and she'll probably really only the oldest one will get married. And each of the daughters had a personality. One was sickly one was the martyr but um he was writing about um fascist spain and how the, the bernarda alba was sort of representative of that that controlling stifling society mm-hmm. so take part the main elements um i wanted to explore how nowadays women can feel confined or trapped maybe it's not you know 20th century Spain, it's not Spain 1910, but um, I think modern day for immigrant women, often a lifestyle here is very trapped and confined. So my, it, it occurred to me to just start exploring what makes a woman today feel trapped and confined and what makes her feel free and how some, some women can break out of whatever those things that are trapping them. In some cases, it's domestic violence. In other cases, it's, it's in the immigration or lack of legal residency in other cases it's house arrest and so i it just seemed really a perfect fit to set it in the foster care system so i decided that instead of this matriarchy with one mother and her and all biological daughters that in my play it would be a mother with foster daughters and one biological daughter i wanted to explore that kind of relationship between Siblings, foster siblings, and, bi- and biological siblings. There's plenty of single moms today, city that are holding down several jobs, trying to raise kids. So it was just easy to imagine, you know, this woman with four girls raising them and trying to do the best she can. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the impetus of it. So I kind of analyzed each character and sort of what was their original quality in that play, and then kind of took a little leap. So in in I wouldn't even call it an adaptation. It's really it's a completely different play set today in Seattle in a housing project similar to Yesler Terrace, which is across the street from where I work, which is Harborview Hospital. And that's another yeah. thing that's kind of fed into um, all of my writing. I've been a Spanish medical interpreter for about 21 years. Mm. And so I've listened to thousands of hours of stories. I mean, people... Um, tell you their stories. Basically, um, I interpret for, for people when they need to 
for whatever reason, so I've interpreted in the emergency room and labor and delivery and the dentist for the dentist or social worker for eye surgery, whatever. I'm just the gambit. So you hear a lot of people's stories. And most of the of the patients that I've interpreted for, I would say like um, maybe 8% don't have legal residency. The patients that I've interpreted for. And so I've, I've gotten to hear and see a lot of different um, circumstances. So I can draw from those with some knowledge. And mostly I wanted to capture, what is it, the, the emotion of the situation. It's very hard to have, be here a lot of years and know you don't have illegal status. And, and it can make you feel very insecure. Um, I also wanted to explore um, adolescence. I wanted to explore these girls living so tight in, you know, in one apartment, what, what makes a person stay home all the time? Mm-hmm. What makes a person leave? Um, I don't want to give away the end play, but we explore a lot of things. So mm-hmm. that comes with kind of the foster scene. So mm-hmm. abandonment and what does it mean to have a family? So, and it's, you know, it's kind of all in there in that, in but not a bad about so a lot of, a lot of women, sometimes they're nurturing to each other and sometimes they're arguing and we see, uh, three generations. You see the grandmother, the mother, and the daughters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something always so, so fascinating about stories about women where men are removed or, you know, aren't, aren't participating mm-hmm. actively in the storytelling, aren't on stage, aren't a, a physical presence that right. gives so much power to the different ways women relate to each other and the connections mm-hmm. and the wars that we all have, and then the sisterhood that we all have as well. Yeah. It's so powerful. It is a lot of sisterhood. Mm-hmm. And the matriarchy, because you see, so in my play, I call her Bernie, right? Short for Ben Madeline. <laughs> and so um, I allude to the same name, although it's not the same character. And yeah, it's it totally passes the Bechdel test, right? The Latino Bechdel test. So they have... You know, their dialogues, their interactions are about them, you know, as women. So that could be a difference with, with the, the Lorca's play written in 1920. They're talking the whole time about Pepe Romano and who's going to get him and who's so him. This is very different. They're about how to get by in today's world. And, and they watch out for each other. One of the sisters, a medical condition. And every Everyone has something. And also we represent other countries. So one of the daughters is from Honduras. One is Salvador, was from Mexico, um, one is from Peru, that's where I'm from. Um, so I wanted to give a real diversity within, you know, our Latino culture. You see, you know, all colors of the rainbow and all yeah. shapes and sizes, which I love, which is great. I and mean, there's six of them on stage, six. Yeah. Six Latinas on stage, five Latinos backstage in a mainstream theater in Seattle. I mean, we talk so much about equity and casting and what are we going to do about it. So we wanted to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that, about um, creating the the Latina voice that you're creating with this play and uh, kind of what what that means and what you hope to inspire with that or what's next for this wanted, play? It's a lot of I questions. I wanted to write about the world. way I see it, hear it. Uh-huh. So Washington is a bilingual state. Yeah. The rural part of our state is very much Spanish-speaking, and it's the second uh, most spoken language. It's just common to hear it where you go, I guess, depending on where you live. But since I work in 
in a big hospital, it's normal to hear many languages happening at once. Um, so one, I wanted to write about our world here in Seattle and Washington State. And I want to, I want to see that reflected on Seattle stages. So one that's important to me. So I think that's the mission of ese teatro and to provide opportunity for Latino talent. And I think a lot of times with mainstream or regional theaters, we tell ourselves, oh, we don't have the talent. We don't have enough talented enough Latinos or trained enough. But I, but we even got to choose who we wanted. You know, we, we, we have six amazing, they're killers. They're killer women from ages like 21 to 47, I don't even, it's amazing. I mean, they're so passionate and so talented and they bring a cultural baggage, which it's, you know, you can't replace that on stage mm -hmm. and you don't have to go to LA to get them. I mean, so I do feel like we have the, enough talent to tell the story different. The production is professional like any other production that's being done there at ACT. So I'm, I'm happy about the partnership with ACT that provides visibility and hopefully a good stepping stone for the actors. Uh, I want part of Isidetro's mission is to provide some stability and work so to retain people because good people are pouring out of the training programs. So on in this play, we have two people from Cornish, three, three people from Cornish, myself from Cornish, one person from Seattle, one person from the... Um, undergrad drama department. So I feel like we're training them. So what are we providing on Seattle stages to retain these people here so we can reflect the stories of the people that live in our state and live yeah. in our city? Yeah. It's not an, an invented thing. Yeah. This is, this is the way our city looks. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the company, Ese Teatro, and, and how uh, that got started and your history there? We celebrated our sixth anniversary, so kind of an eclectic group of us got together in 2010. I guess I felt like since the group theater went under, even though that wasn't a Latino theater, that was sort of a void. So I began actively really trying to call people and get together with other Latino actors, some that, that had just moved to Washington State, others that had been here, and I said, let's do this thing. And so to, we came together as sort of an eclectic group. And we founded Ese Teatro, it was like seven or eight of us. And then after a couple of years, we threw several kind of more things of, of organization. It's really hard. Everyone has, you know, jobs mm -hmm. and to try to organize. And because, you know, we're there because we want to show our art, be on stage or direct or act. But there's also all this administrative and production support that has to happen for a person to stand on those boards in front of those people. So what does that mean? That means we have to learn to, to organize and run an organization. So um, I became artistic director about three years ago. So I feel like I, I, what I provide is a, a vision of connecting us to the greater Latino theater movement in the United States. And we are part of the Latino theater commons and we just hosted a national regional convening at the UW school of drama last month. So that's what I, what I can offer, but it's still a very much a, um, all volunteer organization where people give the gift of their time and their talent and their organizational time to create, be able to, um, bring some stories to the state, the stage and not only at ACT we also do outreach for two or three years 
we were doing a program called Dialogues on Dignity, where we were going into the local shelters in tent cities to present a half-hour segment of our last main stage, Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, Homeless in Seattle. And then we would do a bilingual dialogue about dignity, how to keep your dignity while on the street. Is it Teatro's Deep Roots with Social Services Community? The other founding, one of the other founding members is still with Is it Teatro. It's, it's kind of, we're the two oldest members. Her name is Meg Savlov. She works for King County Public Health um, to be in public servants and to the community. Mm-hmm. So it's a natural, natural crossover. So I'm very grateful to um, the foster care community that have, that have helped us um, with research for this play and um, we're inviting these youth to the play hopefully they will come over the next three weeks so the people whose these stories are about they can be seen Um, the idea is for people to see themselves on stage right role models for growing up and having studied at Cornish myself in the 80s I didn't get to see that on stage and I feel like oh my my family's on stage. I see my kitchen on stage. And that's, I feel like the other six actors on stage, the actresses, they felt that too. It's like they could each bring part of their family. Oh, my abuelita used to say this. And in my house, we said this. And in my house, we did this. And we ate this. Yeah. So it's been a lot of fun. And they're all they're all so amazing. I, I told them, your baggage is welcome here. Everyone come. You know, they usually say, check your baggage at the door. Yeah. <laughs> I say, come in with your baggage. Just bring it. Put it on the table. Because that's... <laughs> That is part of, I think that's part of what makes a Latino-run organization, um, um, perhaps in some way, I don't know if different, but um, I think that gives uh, that gives us soul and a and a context for how we do things. Yeah. Sometimes it may appear chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that, I've heard this from around the world too, um, but. Uh, right now, I'm really happy to see all these women on stage. Can you talk a little bit more about um, the difference between writing a one-person show or a show for yourself as opposed to one where there are multiple characters and dialogue that's happening and um, bringing wow. that to life, kind of? Yeah, that's really different. That's a different experience. So I feel like the first, you know, my first 20 years as a writer, I was writing basically for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, you know, and I ba- I did base a lot on my family, but basically I would hear, you know, kind of the different voices and voice patterns in my head, but knowing that I would be doing them, right? I remember taking a workshop from Maria Irene Fornes, and I was I gave her a sample of one person show. She said, well, why don't you try writing for more than one character. She said, it's fun. It's kind of like paper dolls. They get to talk to each other. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. Um, but now, finally, so many years later, I'm finally really enjoying that. So uh, this process, I have to say also, with Julie Beckman as director and Lenore Benzinger as dramaturg, we did a lot of development, meaning it changed a lot um, in rehearsal. Mm. You know, through 10 drafts wow. um, over... I don't know, a couple of years, but a lot changed at the end um, because seeing things in rehearsal and what needed, you know, changes that needed to be made and also um, what actors brought to it. So that um, was a totally different experience. There was a lot of input for, from actors. Um, 
requests for change, things that were evident, oh, they had to be changed to make the action. It was about making the play stronger. So I'm happy that I feel like the play is much stronger. And there's six voices I get to play with. So I'm really, um, I really like that. So if I was in rehearsal just for, for myself, for a one-person show, I think the experience would be so much different because it would be knowing that I would be doing the delivery of all these different lines or characters, even if it was me playing six characters. But um, knowing that it's for other people, that it lives beyond you. It's a good feeling. So I hope it lives beyond this, that mm -hmm. it will be done other places and that Latinas from different parts of the country, that it will resonate with them because I know that um, that there is, you know, a crisis of, of immigrant children and children that come to the border and then they, they, come, they come to this country without their parents and so what happens uh, to them? You know, they go into the system. Some people stay with relatives, but I think, you know, we're having so many children that are having to, you know, adjust to being in this country at, at such a difficult age. I just think that this, the story need this, this story needs to get out there more, so we can hear those voices of those of those kids and and preteens, and then later adults. You know what it was like for them. Have there been any particular challenges in bringing this story to life? Do you think, and in, in either um, giving these different characters voices or uh, in rehearsal, finding the differences or similarities between the characters or any other challenges that you've faced with it? Let's see. And I was thinking of something just on, on my way home. Well, one, one challenge is as I started, you know, developing, in this idea of wanting to place this in the foster care system, the amount of research to go into all the details, because there's house arrest, that there's a bunch of things that happen in this play. So I couldn't have done it without the, the dramaturg to research, you know. Yeah. What is, uh, you know, what does that look like? What are the, the, you know, what is the process to get a license for, you know, foster care? Are there, you know abuses in the system or irregularities. So I would say um, challenges are the amount of time that you may have as a writer and in rehearsal and the amount of research. There was another one I was thinking on the way here. I'm like, i got to remember that, but remember that this was particularly challenging. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't remember. I guess being an ethnically specific theater company and all volunteer. So when it, when it, I feel like, this is something that has emerged from our voices, from our community, but at the same time that makes it hard to, you know, get it out to the world. Because everyone involved in this project is do, are doing so many things for their community. Yeah. That it's, it's hard to be able to dedicate the amount of time you want to being just a theater organization. But if you were just a theater organization, then you might not have those strong roots in the community. So... Mm -hmm. I guess the the great multitasking is, is the challenge. And on the same, kind of the other side of that, any particular joys that have come out of this process or um, things oh, that have surprised you, maybe? food! <laughs> <laughs> so it was a great rehearsal process with so much food. Um, at Yay. one point, Julie said, okay, you got to stop writing food into this place. And I realized it's such a huge... Because there's so much mention of food, and then you have to 
put it on stage and <laughs> and then you know what has to be fresh every night and uh, but I realized how much we transmit of our culture and our stories through our food. Definitely. And one yes. thing was taken directly from from a Christmas Eve, I remember at my sister's house. And I and I took a little note on my phone and I'm like, I gotta work this into a into my next play. Um there is so much that happens in our lives around food. And then when we come from another country, so sometimes those things, those foods or those traditions are what um kind of make it makes you feel at home and makes you carry that culture with you. So I love that transmitting of that. So one of the characters in the play is like the cook of the, the play so that it, it's fun to um, just everyone was can relate to tamales and tamales on Sunday and every country has so many different kinds of tamales. And mm-hmm. So there was, there was great food items that we talked about. <laughs> That's wonderful. That there, yeah, there's the biggest joy. And then cool. for our tech, I ordered tamales from one of the patients at the hospital where I work. Oh. So we got homemade tamales <laughs> with real lard, um, and that was what we had during our rehearsal or during our tech. And I brought a crock pot of lentils, made the way you know we make it at my house. Mm-hmm. So it was just a, it was it was a nice atmosphere for everybody. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's just a comfortable feeling, I guess, when you feel like, oh, everybody on stage is um, Latina, and I'm not there just to add a flavor or spice or to authenticate the production and make it seem, like, real. Right. <laughs> it's like everybody was that. And, you know, and off stage too, our, our, our assistant director, our assistant stage manager, the costumer, myself. The technical director, I mean, how many Latinos is that? Five. So it was was great to kind of, you know, set the tone. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's very loving. Those those ladies are amazing. Everybody is. And, and Julie's a wonderful way of working with all the actors, really getting the best out of them. I'm very happy. That's so wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you hope people take away from this experience of seeing this play? I guess the idea of resiliency, how how hard it is sometimes to be able to um, you know, support your family. For a woman, for a single woman, and I see this a lot in my patients, to be able to, to um, do the best for your children um, and without breaking down yourself, mm-hmm. to be able to you know, for to take care of yourself. Well, I feel like this place shows you all this different, these different myriads of women, and there's no stereotypes in there. But we talk about the the unattractive parts of a woman. We talk about the unattractiveness because usually it's like, oh, the you know, the hot, sexy Latina, and we kind of play with that too. Or you have the um, the cleaning lady. So now you can have the whole gambit in between. Between all these women, they're all very different, but we're not afraid to show unglamorous parts of um, sometimes what it takes to get and to be a mom. It's a, an honest um, showing of, you know, kind of this panoply, this diversity of women. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and we try to get some humor in there. So it's not all sad, it's funny. <laughs> I think there's something there for, I think we'll all recognize our sisters, our aunts, our abuelitas, our grandmas at some point. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I can't wait to see it. I've heard, just in what I've been reading uh, online, it sounds like very positive feedback and and well-received by um, a lot of different uh, people and different uh, demographics in your yeah, in your yeah. audience because certainly yeah. it's uh, yeah we have a really varied audience at ACT because there's ACT yeah. holders and a lot of non-Latinos that go to ACT and then we have people that follow us to ACT well I know what I wanted to say um, one of the actors Giovanna Arriaga she um, was a foster child so she went through the system so it was great to have um, her to be able to be there and share with us what that was like for her, and I'm uh, great to be able to get that story out. Yeah. So um, I feel like we, you know, having her as part of this really kept us kept us on track and has helped us connect with the community too. Mm-hmm. So I, I really feel like if you know we can bring awareness, and it is May is National Foster Care Month. If we can bring awareness to this, there are need for more Latino foster homes, mm-hmm. because there's so many of these children that either they came um, alone and, you know, crossed the border, or they had to be um, removed from their homes for some reason. So, um, I think we really want to raise awareness to that. So, if this program today can help with that, May is National Foster Care Month. There's many ways that you can help out. One is just being aware of it, so come see the show. What a what beautiful timing. Did you know that going into like I did not slot? know that going into it. No, wow. I didn't. Huh. I knew it was, you know, single de Mayo, and that's personally as a teatro's anniversary, so I was happy about that. But I did not find out till till after that this was National Foster Care Month. Wow. So I'm very happy that it mm-hmm. coincided. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Rose, and good luck with the rest of the run. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.